Recovery Elevator, episode 235. Maybe there was that initial period where you feel that euphoria of the first drink, but then after that, you're chasing it and you're never getting the relief or that great feeling that you're, you're constantly chasing. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Joy. She's 42 years old from Fairfield, Connecticut, and she's been alcohol-free since July 13th, 2014. In her interview, she talks about how things were moved in her life that were intertwined with alcohol. It's a fantastic interview. You're going to love it. Before we get any further, let's hear it from Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups Cafe RE, you're going to get all three and much more. What does private mean? Well, these groups are unsearchable on Facebook. Who's in the group and what is said can only be seen by members. You get 24-7 access to a group full of others whose priority it is to ditch the booze. These groups are capped at under 350 members to ensure a quality connection. In Cafe RE, you'll find that quitting drinking doesn't have to suck. In fact, it can be a lot of fun. For $19 a month, you too can join the conversation, be paired with an accountability partner, attend educational online webinars, online meetups, attend in-person meetups, participate in book club, movie club, and much more. Oh yeah, you'll also get discounts to retreats and sober travel trips. Go to recoveryelevator.com and use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. I hope to see you there. The Recovery Elevator Retreat in Bozeman just took place, and I am pumped for the next alcohol-free event we have, which is a sober travel trip to Thailand and Cambodia. This takes place January 20th to the 31st, 2020. For details, full itinerary, go to recoveryelevator.com. All right, alcohol is shit. Book update. We are less than one month away from the launch date of September 7th, 2019. Now, why does that date sound familiar to me? Um, Oh, that's right. On September 7th, 1630, the city of Boston, Massachusetts was founded. No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. Oh, here we go. On September 7th, 1939, Radio New York Worldwide begins transmission. Yeah, as a podcaster, this is a big date for me. Uh, no, that's not it either. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay, on September 6th, 2014, I took my last drink. Therefore, September 7th, 2014 is my alcohol-free date. So it seemed like a great idea to launch the biggest project I've ever worked on in my life, the book titled Alcohol is Shit, on my sobriety date. And actually, it wasn't my idea. It was my mom's idea. My plan was to launch it in August, around the time of the Recovery Elevator Retreat, completely overload my plate, get all stressed out, and my mom was like, hey, why don't you think about doing it on your sobriety date? Thanks, mom. Love you. Before we get started, I want to talk to you about one more DUI I didn't get. So, I'm age 22. I just graduated from college in December 2004 from Chapman University. Myself and two friends drove back to Colorado from California. They helped me drive my truck, pack it up, all my stuff back, and we're hanging out in Vail, Colorado one night. So, I was the designated driver that night. I drank, um, which just means that I didn't drink very much, and I did a good job of it. I think I had four beers around four hours while we're out in downtown Vail. Um, but I did know on the way back, I wanted to start drinking. So I had a water bottle with some vodka in it. And on the way back, we stop off at a lookout. I show him a beautiful view of Beaver Creek, Colorado. And then, uh, I start drinking the vodka and about 15 minutes away from home. I'm a stop sign, uh, probably a quarter mile away from my house. I get pulled over and I'm doing the roadside test. And I know if I don't pass the roadside test, and if I go to the station for a breathalyzer, I'm toast. And that's what happens. Go to the station, blow in the breathalyzer, and I get a .16. Uh, that's pretty high, about double the legal limit. Now what happens is the officer wrote the court date for January 25th, 2004. Now the problem is, since it's December 2004, I can't attend that court date. And my lawyer was savvy enough to pick that up. So what we'll do the first couple days of the year, we'll write last year's date. For example, this January 2020, I'll write January 2019. 
That's what this police officer did. My lawyer got me off. And guess what? I remember getting the call and I said, I don't have a drinking problem. Fantastic. You can't see me now, but I'm shaking my head. Okay, let's get started. Today, I want to talk to you about the phrase spontaneous sobriety and clear up some confusion listeners may have surrounding this concept or idea. We're going to talk about what it is and what it isn't. You've heard me say before that addiction and all that jazz can be confusing. So, of course, spontaneous sobriety can be a little confusing and it doesn't necessarily mean what you think it means. So here's what I would think spontaneous sobriety means. And this is in line with the emails I've received and the posts I've seen in Cafe RE. I would assume since the definition of spontaneous means performed or occurring as a result of sudden inner impulse or inclination and without premeditation or external stimulus, that one just stops drinking without any premeditation, thought, or external motivation. Hmm, interesting. So by the definition of spontaneous, I have heard of spontaneous pizza or spontaneous fly fishing or a spontaneous phone call to an old college roommate. I've been doing this for a long time. And by the definition of what I think it would be, I haven't met many people or really anyone who's experienced spontaneous sobriety. If it's not a problem, you don't spontaneously remove it from your life. I didn't spontaneously quit Ultimate Frisbee or spontaneously stop shopping at Nordstrom's. We don't spontaneously stop doing something if it's not a problem. So what is it then? What does it mean? Well, spontaneous sobriety means quitting drinking without any formal treatment, such as rehab, inpatient treatment, or outpatient treatment. Now, I've seen some places list 12-step programs as formal treatment, but I disagree. You can go when you want, work with or without a sponsor, and if you do work with a sponsor, there is no formal way to do the steps. Pretty informal to me. Spontaneous sobriety doesn't mean what I think it would mean, but overall it's still good news. There is truth to what I just said. In fact, the majority of people ditch the sauce without formal help. According to the research by the NESARC, about half of all people who recovered from alcohol dependence did so by quitting completely on their own. Lance Dodes in his book, The Sober Truth, has this figure well over half. More research shows only about 12% of people with alcohol dependence ever receive specialty alcohol treatment. If you add in the number who attend AA, that number climbs to 14.6%. So from this, you can infer that over 80% of people spontaneously, I'm doing air quotes, spontaneously ditch the booze. So I will disagree and say there isn't anything spontaneous about it. You've heard me say on this podcast, we can't do this alone. Let me look at my tally. I've said this 789 times now, and I fully agree with that. So how do people do it without any formal treatment? Well, first, they listen to their bodies, not the mind. They start researching. They find the book, This Naked Mind. Hopefully, alcohol is shit when that book comes out or any other self-help book in this category. They attend AA smart recovery meetings, refuge recovery, start meditating, tell their doctor, psychologist, therapist the truth, start listening to podcasts, they read blogs, join online recovery groups like Cafe RE, they do a 30-day alcohol challenge, Any Grace's 30-day alcohol experiment, phone a friend, talk to a neighbor, open up to your spouse, and if you're really daring, you'll attend an in-person recovery elevator retreat like the one we just had in Bozeman, or you're going to come to Thailand or Cambodia with us this upcoming January. If I could summarize all these approaches listed with three words, it would be, don't tell anyone. I'm just kidding. That's a terrible joke. <laughs> okay, so here it is. Wait for it. The magical potion is about to be revealed. Burn the mother ships. Wait, that was five words. Let's just go with burn the ships. Talk about it. So the reason why I don't like this term is because people have been discouraged because they didn't experience spontaneous sobriety as in how they imagine the term. I saw a post the other day in Cafe RE, which is what gave me the idea for this episode that went like this. Hey everyone, I just can't seem to get it. I see everyone around me experiencing spontaneous sobriety, but I'm still in the cycle of getting a couple days alcohol free, then drinking again. And this person is trying their hardest to move forward in life alcohol free. This person, who has yet to attend any formal treatment, is on the path to spontaneous sobriety. So just stick with it. And according to the definition of which most people think spontaneous sobriety is, including myself, I 
also had spontaneous sobriety. I never attended any formal treatment, but I can tell you with 100% certainty and conviction, there was nothing spontaneous about it. So if you're struggling and you're bummed, you haven't spontaneously quit drinking, don't worry about it. No one has by this definition. And I hope this clears the air. And before we hear from Joy, let's hear from today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? In early sobriety, I experienced some intense cravings to feel differently, and I wanted to use alcohol to make that happen. It's helpful to talk to somebody about these cravings. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator. That's Better, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. And join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. For Recovery Elevator listeners, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator. Joy, how are you? Hi, I'm well. How are you doing? Joy, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Let's get right into this. How long have you been alcohol-free? Well, my sober date is July 13th, 2014, and as of today, we're just a few days short of my five-year anniversary. That is correct. Since I love having these conversations, I always have several in the hopper, and I'm looking at my calendar right now. We're recording on July 10th. This is scheduled to come out August 19th. You're three days away from five freaking years. Nice job, Joy. How's that feel? <laughs> Thank you. It's it's great. Um, I was actually talking to a friend about this last night, and she has just a little bit over a year, which is amazing. And when we were kind of reflecting on my date, it feels very remote, but also feels very current, if that makes sense. It feels really awesome. I'm very proud. Yeah, it does make sense because the remote part of that. There's sometimes I think about when I was in my deepest struggles with addiction on that hamster wheel, more specifically in the summer of 2014, things got rough. There was a couple mm -hmm. moments where I, I, I didn't think I was going to come out of it. It was, it was, it was a struggle, mm -hmm. but I'm almost five years away from that. And it seems like a different lifetime. And I'm so thankful that alcohol is really no longer an issue. Is, mm -hmm. is alcohol, is this kind of a similar story with you? Yeah, you know, there was a, a period or an instance rather a couple of years ago, I was away on travel and very unexpectedly found myself like sitting at a bar with another associate of mine waiting for some carryout food. And it kind of freaked me out because I was like very close quarters and everybody was drinking. And I hadn't really been in a bar since my sober date because I had really no interest in going and sitting at a bar. And that felt really kind of crazy. But since then, I've had experiences where I've gone to restaurants. And like even last night, again, when I was out with my friend, it's it's a non-issue. I know exactly what I'm going to have to drink. It's awesome and refreshing and delicious and alcohol-free. And it feels wonderful. Real quick, before it's, we get into get into more about you, your background, mm -hmm. your story, what is your, what is your favorite alcohol-free drink? In fact, that needs to be a question I need to add on this podcast. But yeah, what's your favorite drink? Yeah, it's a really good question, especially now, because I feel like a lot of people are really kind of highlighting what they're drinking now that's not alcohol. And for me, it's been very simple, but just seltzer with cranberry and lime. It's really good. You read my blog. You saw my Instagram account, right? That's that's my drink. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's, my, it's That's like my jam. It's because it's the best drink in the world, so... Yeah, good it's taste. It's super good. Yes, very. And it feels like festive. It's, I don't feel like I'm missing anything, so it's tasty. Totally. Yeah, you get that lime wedge, you squeeze it in. I do yep. about a quarter cranberry. What's what's you? So I go soda water with about a quarter cranberry and then mm -hmm. a lime wedge. What's what's your mixture of cranberry and soda? Well, I've been getting a little saucy with it because initially I would just do a splash. 
And then I think because I enjoy the color and I do like the flavor, I've been adding probably like a quarter to a half of the juice and just enough, you know, of the seltzer makes it effervescent and bubbly, but you still got a lot of the yummy juice flavor with it. So a quarter to a half. Damn, girl. You, you scale back there, girl. <laughs> I'm uh, crazy. A, I know. A couple weeks ago, I added a dash of tahine, which is like like the uh, Mexican sal chile limon sauce. So it was like oh my goodness. spicy soda water cranberry it was delicious it's so refreshing yeah. yeah yeah there's a lot of cool things out there with like elderberry and like you know i i know that there's quite a few folks that have been writing about a lot of different recipes and i i, I share a lot of those with my clients too because they're always looking for alternatives that feel fun and you know if i'm feeling super frisky i put it in a wine glass you know, a stemmed glass and ah. yeah i'm ready to go nice and, yeah. and listeners, before we hear more about Joy's background, I just want to thank you, Joy, for coming back on the podcast. So originally when we scheduled, um, Joy had to reschedule, which is totally fine. I came back, had to reschedule, and then we had a killer 45-minute interview. And you'd think after doing this 235 times, I'd have it figured out. Well, I only recorded my side of the conversation. Sorry about the ego there. And uh, <laughs> I reached out to Joy. I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. but So thank you so much for coming back on. We already did the sound test. I got your side. I got my side. We've already covered yes. some great ground here with the soda water, scramberry, cranberries, <laughs> the lime. All right. Joy, give listeners a little background about yourself, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family, and what do you like to do for fun? Okay. I was born and raised in the suburbs of Southeast Michigan and Ann Arbor and Detroit area. And I moved to Connecticut about 15, 16 years ago. I've been married for almost 15 years. I have two sons and I work as a holistic nurse practitioner and sober and gray area drinking coach and also a dance teacher. And I really enjoy dance and yoga, being outside and reading. And uh, yeah, I think that's it. You nailed the joy. In last interview, you said dance is coming back. Talk to us mm -hmm. for a second about that. Yeah, so I started dancing at a very young age. And when I was growing up, I danced a lot. When I went to college, that was my major. And I had actually an accident rock climbing where there was alcohol involved because it's always a great idea to make sure that you're drinking alcohol when you go rock climbing. Yeah, while scaling mountains. Mm-hmm. And um, I had a, a pretty bad ankle injury. And it was right before I was supposed to go away to college to study dance. And it really impacted my career and my development there. Mm. And I switched it up. I went into healthcare and kind of went back to dance a little bit. But alcohol was very much a part of my life. So when I stopped drinking, there was a lot of things that I removed from my life because it was so intertwined with alcohol. And I really realized just how essential movement and dance is to me on a very deep intrinsic level. So I've recently started getting back into it. And it's been a homecoming of sorts. There's been a lot of folks that are happy <laughs> that I'm returning to it. I know I am happier. And it feels really good to be back into that and to be alcohol free and just enjoying the movement for movement's sake and all that that has given me in the past. Joy, I'm eager to ask you the question later about the, your gray area drinking coach that mm, perked my mm -hmm. ears and i want to hear more about that but before we get there give listeners background about your drinking describe your drinking habits when you first realized it was a problem did you ever attempt to regulate was there a rock bottom moment bring us up to speed and do us a favor and include dates and, and ages okay i shall do my best so i started drinking pretty regularly in my teenage years in my household, you know, uh, my family, like beer was always around, and like family gatherings, it was always pretty apparent. And it just felt like something that was very natural for me to kind of line, align with like a partying crowd in uh, high school. So there were some binging moments, some blackout moments in high school. As I mentioned, when, before I went away to college, I had the accident that was uh, related, you know, I, I think I probably would not have made the choice and had the accident that I did. Going through college, continued to drink pretty heavily and ended up leaving college. And I got a DUI when I was 20, spent the night in jail, and still kind of continued on thinking that <laughs> I could still manage. When you got that DUI, was yeah. there a concern? You know, it was 
a terrifying experience. It was in Michigan, and I had to spend night in jail in a very big <laughs> correctional facility that was really overwhelmed and full, and it really did put the scare into me. But I felt like, well, I just wasn't smart enough. Like, I could still continue to do this, but I just need to make sure that I don't drive. Yeah, or, the, the route you took home was the problem. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. Well, if I hadn't made that stupid turn in front of that police officer, yeah. well, then I would have been okay, you know. So a lot of rationalization gotcha. there, sadly. You know, in my 30s, I think it, it became more apparent that it was a problem. You know, there were a lot of heavy conversations the morning after with my husband and, you know, some conversations about, well, you know, of course, maybe we should just not drink Monday through Thursday, you know, just drink Saturday or Friday. And I, I always failed that test. <laughs> I never was able to to moderate for the life of me. Enjoy. Those plans sound pragmatic to mm. a normal drinker, right? And even last interview, you said that your husband mentioned well, he didn't understand the drinking. He said, this doesn't yeah. make sense. Can you comment yeah. on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, here I was at this point, I was a registered nurse, you know, in graduate school or maybe done with graduate school at that point to be a nurse practitioner. You know, I was a yoga practitioner and yoga teacher and really just overall holistically health minded and oriented. And yet I was drinking heavily. And when I drink, I also smoked cigarettes. So I was, you know, sequestering myself with alcohol and cigarettes. And it's just like the two just did not compute. Like there was this joy who was highly functioning and going to her job at the hospital and teaching yoga classes. But then there was the other Joy who was, you know, drinking at that point almost every day and then ultimately did become a daily drinker. And it just, you know, it didn't make sense why these people were coexisting in the same person. So what do you think that is? Because there are several sub-personalities within every human being. What's your rationality with that? What, how would you explain that to a normal drinker? You know, I think because of the fact that I was still highly functioning for the most part. I mean, I also had struggled, I have struggled really lifelong with, with depression. And I know that there were certain days where like my mood was so low, like work seemed insurmountable. Were some of those days concurrent with hangovers? Absolutely. But I think that perhaps I indulged the depression a little bit more than my problem with alcohol. But on the grand scheme of things, I was still bringing home a good paycheck. I was still being where I was supposed to be when I was supposed to be there. You know, I was still, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't gotten arrested anymore, you know. And, you know, in society, we still had a, a group of friends that were pretty much doing similar amount of drinking, you know, drinking in similar amounts and frequencies. And it seemed socially acceptable. So this wasn't a problem. In my mind, it, it didn't seem like it was a problem. Sure. The rationalization with that when it's almost like the unconscious mind is waiting for the shoe to drop. But we tell ourselves, look, bringing home the paycheck, just finished grad school. I'm, I'm killing it in my, my career. I'm very functioning. And on the other mm -hmm. side, right, there's this other part of your sub personality that's screaming that, hey, look, these parts of us need to be healed. Yeah. And it's like this time before the other shoe drops um, and right. bring us up to speed. And did the other shoe drop? Yeah. I mean, I was, you know. To, to go from one spectrum to the other, you know, it's like I was, you know, 30 pounds heavier than I am now. Like, so like my health was, was definitely not doing well. My depression was not well treated, you know, and of course I had prescribers and practitioners that were trying to manage my depression with me saying that, you know, that when you drink, you know, <laughs> anything that we put you on as far as an antidepressant is really not going to be able to do its job because you're totally masking any positive effects with the alcohol. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Sure. <laughs> But really, it was, I think the, the proverbial shoe was when I was home with my children. At this point, I had both of them. I had had two children, and I was home with them during the day. And my youngest was less than a year, and my oldest was like two and a half. And we were playing, and my older son asked me to hand him a toy. And when I asked him if he could point it out to me, and, you know, of course, I'd be happy to give it to you. Where is it? He said, it's behind your wine glass. Oh. And yeah. And it was 11 o'clock in the morning on a weekday. I was home taking care of my children and I was drinking wine. And I almost feel like that fact 
could just be totally glossed over and ignored because, again, I was still there with the kids. I was doing my thing. But now the fact that this little person recognized that, it all of a sudden felt like, what the hell am I doing? You know, it's like, what is happening here? How, how am I going to continue this? It's ridiculous. What did that feel like when that was brought to light? It just, it rocked my world. You know, I had like visions of myself, like fast forwarding, like, you know, what am I going to have to do? Like go hide in a closet with a bottle? You know, like, how am I going to, how am I going to, to maintain this level of drinking? Because at that time I had used alcohol then to deal with the fact that I still felt depressed. I was overwhelmed as a parent. Um, I was feeling really lonely and isolated and, you know, I didn't know what else I was going to be doing with that, but I knew that that was something that I needed to then. That was the time that I needed to change it up. I had to take it out. So what did you do after that? Well, I I did what, you know, I think everyone thinks that they have to do. I went to AA. And how old are you at this moment? That was, oh, you're going to make me do math. So 37, I guess. Okay. Okay. 36 or 37. And you, your sobriety dates in 30, age 37, right? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing math. Too. Um, I know it's terrible. So, you know, I was kind of beating around the bush cause I really, I just had an issue with the fact that when you go to AA, you have to stand up in front of everyone and proclaim, hi, my name is Joy and I'm an alcoholic. And I, I still didn't know whether or not I was an alcoholic but I knew that I had to do something and that was really the only thing I could think of because I didn't, I just couldn't wrap my brain around the idea of going to a treatment center and leaving my family because then I felt that everyone would know, my in-laws would know, my family would know, like it would just be like this disastrous, shameful thing. But I was like, all right, well, you're just going to have to suck it up and go to AA. And, you know, not to make this a conversation about AA, because I know that a lot of people really find a lot of strength and uh, resilience through that program. And for me to go into the rooms and to stand up in front of a group of strangers, but still for strangers that knew what I was going through and say that I was an alcoholic felt incredibly cathartic. I felt like this enormous weight had been lifted because I actually did, you know, say it. I bore witness to it. And I was like, okay, okay. All right, good. So this is out. Like, this is, this is where I'm at. It didn't kill you. It didn't kill me. It actually allowed me to make the next step forward, which was addressing what I was going to do next. And so that's a big moment when we're Mm. truly ready to move forward in life without alcohol, whether we do step into an AA room and mention it for the first time. I've read several stories where people just sob. When it first comes out, it's been bubbling to the surface for decades. Hey, I'm an alcoholic or I'm whatever. And it doesn't have to be that words. It can be in front of a doctor, a therapist, a family member. And a lot of people do find strength and courage in AA and a lot of people don't. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But regardless, Mm -hmm. the point I think you're trying to make, Joy, is when you're ready, when that finally surfaces and that weight comes off your shoulder, there's this cathartic feeling of peace that -hmm. overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. What happened after that? So I, I was going to AA for a little clip. I met a woman there and she was my sponsor initially. And she really really helped me get through those first couple of weeks of being alcohol free, you know, and all those difficult burning desire moments. And, um, you know, I was able to text her and she would just like talk me off and just be like, Nope, just get through the moment. You know, you know that you're, you're done. You know that you don't want to go back there. Like just get through the moment and moment after moment, day after day, you know, I kept it up and I really wasn't drawn to AA. I didn't find the positivity, really, like the forward movement that I was hoping to find there. Because if you've ever been in therapy, like sometimes, you know, going through talk therapy and you come out and you feel battered when you leave, you know, and I kind of had that same kind of experience there. So I got online and I was looking around for other women-centered recovery avenues. And I found Women for Sobriety, which is a different self-help program. And they have 13 statements and there wasn't any face-to-face meetings around me. They were like over an hour away from me. 13 statements. So, they, they just had to one up the 12 steps. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. It's good. Now, do they do in-person meetings as well? I, I've heard about this program. It's for a lot of good stuff about it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they did. They do. There weren't any near me. So what I did was just doing some online like chat meetings 
And then by the time I had a year under my belt of, of continuous sobriety, then I applied and became a moderator and started moderating meetings for them yeah. in my local town. And Joy, yeah. let, let me actually back it up for a second. I'm looking at our notes mm-hmm. from our previous interview, and I love mm-hmm. what you said. You, you said you always found a way to slide. And I know, you know when, when people are making this alcohol-free journey, they'll get five days, 14 days, three weeks, and then all of a sudden uh, life will present a, an obstacle, a challenge, or even a fun win and okay we can slide talk to us about that for a second do you mean after my sober date or before no i think this was before you got sober you mentioned you always found a way to slide you always would convince yourself look it's okay to drink at this moment it's okay Um, let's take a drink yeah for sure you know and you know very early on before i stopped drinking i remember trying to kind of identify why i drank and i would kind of entertain myself and kind of laugh about it because it it was true. It was like there was always a, a, an excuse or an opportunity in which to imbibe. You know, it was like, oh, it's happy hour or, oh, it's so-and-so's birthday or, you know, oh, it's a work holiday and it's a four-day work week. So I don't have to uphold my <laughs> my previous moderation schedule, you know. Yeah, it was just so ingrained in just what I did. In fact, I felt like Really, unless alcohol was involved in the activity, it just didn't feel like it was something that I wanted to do. I always wanted to make sure that there was going to be enough alcohol and that if we needed more, that, you know, there would be somewhere to go to be able to go buy some more. You know, it was just like a rat race. You know, it was like this monkey on my back where I just like spent so much time and energy about it that it was just pervasive. It was just incredibly pervasive. Joy, you're 100% correct. It is ingrained with almost every activity for what we tell ourselves. What was it like mm-hmm. the first couple social events you made it through alcohol-free? Were you surprised? What did you learn about yourself? I learned that there was definitely some social anxiety aspects there. You know, feeling, you know, I, I definitely used to have like some pre-party drinks before I would go out socially just to kind of like loosen up. And so to be out in social gatherings was pretty stressful. I felt awkward and you know, honestly, I really kind of took a lot of stuff off of my social calendar. You know, I used to really enjoy going out dancing or going out to see live music. And that stuff kind of took a backseat for a good period of time just because it felt really strange and anxious. And then, you know, it wasn't for very long. It was just initially. And honestly, I kind of filled up my schedule with like a lot of other activities to keep me busy. So I wasn't really thinking about what I wasn't doing. I was more focused on what I was doing wasn't doing meaning drinking, (laughs) but there were, you know, other times where we would start to go out and, you know, I would just always make sure that I had like really clear communication with my husband and just be like, you know, let's go, but let's leave by this time. Or, you know, there's a, a party that happens in our neighborhood locally. And thankfully it's within walking distance, you know, last couple of years we've gone, but I'm always okay, I'll stay till this point. And then when I notice that things are starting to get a little sideways, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go home now. Like I'm done. I, <laughs> I socialized, I chatted up the neighbors, you know, I, I caught up with some friends and, you know, at this point people are getting a little drunk and I just, I'm going to take off now. So, and I feel like it's totally okay because at that point, really the, the value of <laughs> the social engagement has kind of um, changed up for me a bit there. Joy, I love how you packaged the the ideal mindset to have while while being alcohol free is you're not focusing on what you're not doing, you're focusing on what you can be doing. And you've heard that you've heard me say it different ways, like this is a tremendous opportunity. It's not mm. a sacrifice. This mm-hmm. isn't a no to alcohol. It's a yes to a better life. And, For sure. And this mindset is key. If you're moving forward out of fear that if you drink, your liver might fail, or if you drink again, all these terrible things will happen. Or you're looking at your calendar and say, I can't do that. Oh, damn it. There's a Saturday night event. Can't do that. You're not going to last long. And I went Mm -hmm. through that for a while. It gets painful. But instead, yeah, feel free in in the introductory phases of an alcohol-free life. Ditch some of those risky alcohol events. And then maybe they'll come back on the calendar later. Most likely, what I have found personally and chatted with other people about, you're clearing space for other better events to show up. And it's not a fear missing out. It's a joy of missing mm-hmm. out. And earlier you mentioned you've been to a bar like once or twice. I imagine that's not because, you know, you can't be in there. You, when you're there, it's just probably not as enjoyable. 
No, absolutely. It's like you're so much more aware of, of like the smells, the noises, you know, it's yeah, it's like I, I don't really want to be in this environment right now. So, Joe, what I've noticed, you're right, the smells, the noises, but there's an energetic frequency that I'm becoming more in tune with the further I get away with alcohol. And not all bars are the same. So I used to have a vending business where I'd have to go to bars, this is in sobriety, and empty the coin boxes, fix quarter jams. And some mm. of these, like, dive bars, I'd walk in there. And it was like a punch to the solar plexus area. It was just oh, I like, believe it. boom, it was walk. I was like walking into a thick curtain. Just the vibrational energy was so much lower and I had to go fast. I would bring my Windex quickly, clean the games, empty the quarters and get the hell out of there. Enjoy earlier. You mentioned that things have been removed from your life that were interwoven, intertwined, interconnected, forget the exact word you use with alcohol. What are some of those things that have been removed in your life in the last five years? Well, definitely going to bars. <laughs> You know, there's been some friendships that have dissipated, but again, the, the, really the pinnacle of those relationships were, were to party, you know, and to, and to get drunk and whatever and wreak havoc. And, you know, you kind of take away that, that dynamic and there's not a whole lot of really substance left in that relationship. Yeah. I feel that, you know, I just want to kind of go back to what you were saying though, if I could, just because I, I really think it is a super important part of the choice of not drinking. One of the things I really enjoy about women for sobriety specifically is because they can, they call it a new life program. Like it's very forward thinking and thinking about how you're going to create things anew by choice. And, you know, I know in my heart, my personal decision that I can no longer drink, like I can't take one drink. I can't take one sip. It's just, it's something that is no longer involved in my life whatsoever. But it's my choice to completely keep it out so that I can have greater experience and greater awareness in everything that I do. Because so much of the time was spent numbing out and just trying to get by and, you know, it never really truly took away the discomfort at all. You know, to think that it really helped me with anything was just a misnomer. You know, it's like maybe there was that initial period where you feel that euphoria of the first drink, but then after that, you're chasing it and you're never getting the relief or that great feeling that you're you're constantly chasing. So to make the choice to, to live alcohol-free is, is far more empowering and offers a lot more freedom. So even though some of those activities, you know, those friendships have gone by the wayside. And, you know, I've gone since to go see live music. It's a very different experience. And I remember concerts now, you know, like I've completely blacked out during concerts, you know, like shows that I will never have the opportunity to see again because artists have either pa passed away or just aren't touring anymore. But these are like, you know, quintessential people that like you really want to go see. Like, I don't even remember it because I was so blotto. So I'm being careful about what I do put back into my life with really the main focus being as being a parent and being there for my family and for my children and, of course, for myself. Joy, there's a quantum science law which the, uh, the Sufi mystic poet Rumi was aware mm. of in the 13th century, and that's what you seek is also seeking you. And this mm. is more to comment on the mindset that you just covered is sure. There's a couple can'ts. I can't drink alcohol. I can't do this. That's, that's, that's okay. But it's more of that. You don't want to drink and you want a better life. You want this experience. You want that experience. You choose to bring more healthy, um, altruistic relationships in your life. And if you dedicate enough energy around what you want, those things within time, when the alcohol is removed, space is created, that stuff will show up. And oftentimes, like you mentioned, relationships that the pinnacle of that connection is alcohol, those will fade away. And oftentimes we find the protective personality, the ego fighting that. Say, hey, how come Tom, how come Jill, how come Susie's not calling me? It's Friday night. Well, this is the natural progression because what you're seeking is an alcohol-free life filled with more connection, more uh, authentic experiences, more health, more holistic, you know, more wholeness. And that stuff is also seeking you. We just need to let it happen. And enjoy. what are some of the differences from like year, year one to year two, year two to three, year four to five? What are, what are some of the themes that you've, that you've encountered and that you've worked on the last five years? I feel like it's just greater ease. You know, the first year I was just dedicated to getting through, 
you know, the moments, the hours, the days, the holidays, you know, looking at the, the calendar, it's like, okay, well, I got past Halloween. Okay, cool. That's great. That was a big one for me. Okay, well, what's next? Okay, going into like the Hanukkah and Christmas holiday seasons and then the new year and then, you know, spring break, whatever, you know, all these different opportunities and things, you know. So that for me was like my first year. And then the second year rolled around and it was being okay with things as it, as it was, you know. And I remember going to an AA meeting a couple of years ago and one of the, the guest speakers got up and she said that, you know, I have great satisfaction and acceptance of, you know, this might be as great as it's going to be, but if this is as great as it's going to be, I'm okay with that. You know, like it's like, it sounds a little lackluster, but the point is, is that for better or worse, all the negative stuff that we endured while drinking, like that's gone. If you're not going to get, you know, those crazy drunken highs, that's okay. You know, because what is on the other side of that is, is never a good thing. So being okay with the experience of living in sobriety was like in my second year and, you know, pacing myself and, and what I was doing, not overscheduling myself, but being really okay with slowing down and then getting more settled in myself. And then in the third and the fourth years, it was, it was pretty much in that same thing. It's like sticking my neck out a little bit more into experiences that were a little scary and getting some resilience in those situations, you know, being a little bit more daring and finding great encouragement through my accomplishments, you know, and, and feeling stronger and more substantial as a person, you know, just as I was, you know, unadulterated, naturally me, you know, knowing that I had all these tools that I had started to acquire and glean and practice in sobriety, you know, like my yoga practice, my meditation, pranayama and breath practice, you know, making sure I get exercise in, strength training, you know, dance, getting outside, you know, journaling, women's circles, like all these different things that we have at our, at our fingertips that if we just start to work with them and rely on them, they fill us up. And that, that's pretty much been the, the journey there. Joy, talk to us about being a gray area <laughs> drinking coach. I absolutely love that because I feel like so many people put off the decision to quit drinking because it's black or white. It's a yes or no answer. I have a drinking problem or not. Mm. HBO has a great documentary called Risky Drinking. And sometimes on the podcast, I say normal drinker or not, but that's not even accurate. There's this huge gray area. Talk to us yeah. about that and what it entails to be a gray area drinking coach. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've done a couple of different coach trainings and, you know, one of my teachers will talk about like the, the sobriety curve where you have like this enormous, like, you know, millions of people that are in this area where they're between, you know, rock bottom and not drinking, you know, and that, that's, that pretty much what encompasses that gray area. And, and Jolene Park was actually who created the gray area drinking coaching program. And she's one of my mentors She's a phenomenal resource and the gray areas is, is exactly that. It's, it's, you know, you're still functioning. You're not quite sure what to do. You feel like, you know, you're either drinking every day or you're binge drinking a couple of times a week and binge drinking really is like two to three drinks or more in one sitting, you know, it's not a lot of alcohol. And I think that that's really pretty typical in a lot of our in our circles that we see in our, in our communities and in our society, because it's just so pervasive, this alcohol. So yeah, like you said, there's, you know, not a great time to stop. But when you start to look at your quality of living and how it is negatively impacting you, and really, when you look at like your big picture of your life, like, is it really in alignment with what you hoped and want it to be? And if alcohol is complicating that there are things that you can do to start to get distance from it so that you can try to get back in touch with more of your authentic self and what you really want to be doing. Joy, what are some common hiccups you see people encountering as they try to quit drinking? I think people have a lot of, you know, the fear thing is, is a big thing, you know, the, the fear of missing out and, you know, or fear of losing some relationships or connections if they stop. And I think that sometimes people really do misinterpret connection 
with alcohol with connection with people. And, you know, just because you're getting together with a group of, of women, you know, to, you know, do, I don't know, like a girl's trip or a book club or something, but there's a lot of alcohol there. Like those probably aren't really deep relationships, you know? So people, I think, get, get nervous that they're going to lose friends when they stop drinking or people are going to judge them or people are going to think that something's wrong with them. But one of the biggest things that, that comes up in, in coaching with my clients is is really that conversation that if people are judging you or saying silly things, because people say ridiculous things when people stop drinking, it's because of the fact that, honestly, they've got their own shit that they're dealing with. Bingo. <laughs> It's got nothing to do with you, you know, and if you find that people are making off-color comments about you're not drinking, it's because they are fearful it's going to impact their cushy zone of being able to get away with how much drinking they're doing. A hundred percent. Every time. Yeah, for sure. It has nothing to do with you. And it's important mm -hmm. to realize that because I've, I've had a couple of those reactions and I was always like, uh oh, I'm in the hot seat right now, but they have nothing to do with me. And then mm -hmm. sometimes you start getting drilled by questions. They start peppering, well, how much did you drink? Um, well, well, like, like, I mean, what was like a rock bottom moment? And what's happening there is the people are questioning their own drinking and they're actually mm -hmm. opening up about it. It may not say, hey, like I'm struggling with drinking too. It's going to come from a different angle or they're questioning drinking for a spouse, a loved one, a friend, a cousin, et cetera, because mm -hmm. there's so many people who are struggling. Exactly. Absolutely. And I feel pretty strongly about being really vocal or verbal about my own experience because I think it's really important to just crash the stigma, you know, crush it and just let people know. Because, you know, in my in my darkest days, you know, I was putting beer into a kombucha bottle and walking my kids to the playground. You know, like I needed, I thought, to drink throughout the day to deal with parenthood, you know, being stay at home at that time with my children. And, you know, the whole mommy sippy cup, mommy wine culture is off the hook. I mean, it's it's so normalized because women are drinking to excess so often. And they're kind of fed this line that in order to deal with the stress of work-life balance or even being a stay-at-home mom, which can oftentimes be harder than working. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't doubt that. <laughs> to go for a to second. work. <laughs> yeah, I was a stay-at-home poodle owner for a while. Drinking it was rough. It was a puppy. It's rough. <laughs> yes, having a puppy is like a baby. It's a lot. But you know that like, the only way to to endure that is to you know put wine in a coffee mug and you know laugh about it you know as you're halfway slosh as your kid is going to a play date or something yeah laugh um, about it and then cry about it until it gets to the point where something must be done about it and i agree 100 percent. the only way to combat this stigma and i love you said it crash the stigma is to talk about it that is the only way mm -hmm. and from both mm -hmm. sides of the equation from normal drinkers quote quote and people who want to quit drinking that's the only way enjoy it we have reached the rapid fire round Oh jeez! Okay. <laughs> God, you're fast. You answer these questions in 30 <laughs> seconds. That would be great. Are you ready? Uh, yes. All right. Worst memory from drinking? Uh, worst memory from drinking is having my friends stay at home with my kids as I drove myself to the hospital because I think I had given myself pancreatitis because I drank too much. Uh, and what's your plan moving forward? My plan is to continue to find great connection with other women similar to me and offer just resources and tools to help them create a new life doing what they love without alcohol. Connection and give back. I love it. And what's your favorite resource in recovery? I'm probably going to have, Ooh, I don't know. Can I say two? You get, you get two. Yeah. Joy, <laughs> since you get two interviews, of course you get two. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to have to say women for sobriety and also yoga of recovery, which was a phenomenal program that Durga Lila offers. Oh, blending watch yoga out for yoga. It is the gateway drug to spirituality. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. We're starting yoga uh, our, at the recovery elevator retreat. We're doing yoga every single morning. Um, big fan of yoga. Good. Uh, hey. In regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Oh, just take a moment and breathe and know that this too shall pass. It all does. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? You know, if you're questioning at all whether or not you need to take a break, then I just, you know, 
invite you to, to give yourself 30 days to take a break and um, really see what you can accomplish and how you can feel without complicating your life with alcohol. And Joy, if listeners would like to find you online, you have a website, Instagram, Twitter, et cetera, possibly work with you in that capacity as a gray area drinking coach. I love that. How can they find you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm all over the place. I'm at my website, which is joyherbst.com. I'm on Facebook. Out? Oh, sure. It's J-O-Y-H-E-R-B as in boy, S as in Sam, T as in Tom.com. Perfect. On Facebook as Joy Herbs and Pernama Women's Health, which is P as in Paul, U-R-N-I-M-A, health. And I'm on Instagram at Joy Dances. Joy Dances. I love it. And before we depart, give listeners your own customized You Might Have a Drinking Problem If line. <laughs> you might have a drinking problem if you are constantly thinking about when you're going to get your next drink. Fact. Love it. <laughs> Joy, this, I don't know if it was possible, was maybe even more enjoyable than our first interview. So thank you <laughs> so much, Joy. Yes, my pleasure. It was great. Thank you. Yeah. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you. You too, Paul. Thanks. When was the last time you woke up thankful you drank? So play the tape forward and imagine, visualize how you'll feel tomorrow morning if you drank right now. Imagine yourself in bed right after you open your eyes and you drank the night before. You should get a visceral feeling of shame and guilt, most likely in the solar plexus area. And you're probably doing this exercise at night or before you're going to take the drink. Now, if you go deep in the body with this, you should actually be able to feel these feelings. Now, try it without drinking. Before you take the drink, whether it's 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 p.m., imagine what it's going to be like tomorrow right after your eyes wake up. Imagine how your cerebral cortex, the brain, the dome is going to feel. Locate the gut in the body. Use the brain to locate the stomach. How's that going to feel? Feel the heart. How about the mouth? What's the taste in your mouth going to be like without it or with it? How are the nostrils going to feel? So just imagine how good you're going to feel tomorrow morning knowing that you didn't drink the night before. This is a great strategy and technique to get past some intense cravings in the PM. Recovery Elevator, this isn't a no to alcohol, but a yes to a better life. I love you guys.